Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast for this special bonus episode. Hello, what a nice treat as we, uh, well, we're, there's only two more episodes of this season that I'm uh, taking a little bit of a holiday break over uh, December. Um, so this is episode 309. Hello, and my name is Jessica Morehouse, the host of the show. Welcome. If you're new, yay. I'm so glad that you discovered this podcast all about everything that you can think of uh, personal finance. Um, and also, hey, shout out to all of my fellow Canadians. For this episode, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, investing, but also specifically uh, kind of Canadian investing. So I have the wonderful Ian Butler on the show. You, if you're you might already be familiar with his name. I certainly am and have been for years. So uh, he is the chief investment advisor at Motley Fool Canada. Um, he is also a CFA and the lead advisor on uh, the Stock Advisor Canada service. That is a subscription that I've actually personally had for uh, a few years now. And so I always see his name on the uh, newsletter. So I feel like I've known Ian for a number of years. So it was kind of a treat to have him on the show. And we are going to be talking about, um, you know, his uh, kind of interesting um, journey into where he is now uh, as kind of like the one of the main people at Motley Fool Canada and uh, how we got into the investing world, um, but also just his thoughts on, you know, stock investing. I know I talk a lot about index investing on the show, but I always get questions about, you know, what if I want to do some individual stock investing? What if I want to build my own, you know, portfolio um, just of uh, individual stocks or have a satellite portfolio in addition to my index portfolio, which I have, um, you know, mentioned on the show. That's something that I personally do as well. And so he's the perfect guest to be on the show to talk about all things stocks, but also specifically, you know, Canadian uh, as a Canadian investor, the Canadian side of things um, and uh, how, you know, what we should take into consideration, how to evaluate companies, um, some of the psychology that is kind of usually the, the the main thing that we all forget about, the psychology of it all and all that good stuff. So I know you're going to love uh, this episode. Now, I do want to just remind you uh, that if you are interested in um, signing up to uh, Stock Advisor Canada, which is a uh, part of Motley Fool Canada. Um, and, you know, currently there's over like 70,000 people subscribed. Well, if you go to fool.ca slash Jessica, you can save 66% off your membership. Um, so again, who doesn't like a good deal? Again, if you want to go to fool.ca slash Jessica, you can get 66% off your membership. But anyways, without further ado, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to that interview with with Ian Butler. Welcome, Ian, to the More Money Podcast. So excited to have you on uh, to talk about one of my favorite topics, investing, but also to really dive deep into uh, Motley Fool Canada and what it's all about and uh, stock investing. So welcome. Wonderful. Great to be here. Been looking forward to this. Yeah. So, you know, I've been a subscriber to Motley Fool Canada for a few years now. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, for people who maybe aren't uh, so familiar with you. And, you know, I feel like I, I know you because your name is always on the email <laughs> newsletters and stuff like that. So I feel like I get an email from you weekly. Um, can you kind of share a little bit? more often than that. <laughs> yeah, more often than that. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, can you uh, share a little bit about yourself and your background? I know that you're a CFA and you did work in, you know, financial services before joining Motley Fool Canada. Kind of share what was your background and, and how did you get into the world of, you know, uh, financial services and investing? Totally. Yeah, I can I can go right back to the beginning of uh, my career. I uh, came out of university sort of thinking that I wanted to be in the Canadian financial industry and, and knew that I was... I'd done a couple projects in university. I did a business degree and, um, and they were sort of along the lines of exploring companies, like figuring out what sort of makes companies tick. And, and I really enjoyed that kind of work. So it translated nicely into, into the world of uh, stock picking and stock advice. So that was sort of the target coming out of school. Now coming out of school, I didn't really have any experience. I didn't really have any connections. Uh, I'd grown up in a small town, uh, sort of rural community. So I hadn't, hadn't been exposed to the high financial world of Toronto, but mm -hmm. moved to Toronto, uh, got a job in, uh, in a call center for a mutual fund company, mm -hmm. uh, Templeton, um, <laughs> which I, I've sort of lost track. It was a pretty big mutual fund company at the time. I don't actually it still exist. There's a big building in Toronto, yeah, but I yeah. don't know anyone who's heard that like no one talks about it. It <laughs> doesn't have the cachet that it once did. Maybe I think not. there was a Templeton growth fund and, and John Templeton is, is a very famous uh, investor mm -hmm. um, historically. Um, so call center, 
got my foot in the door, so to speak. Um, uh, it was sort of a fun environment, young people kicking around, uh, sort of all in the sim- similar boat. Um, but again, sort of had that trajectory in mind that wanted to get into an analytical role. So uh, moved from there into a custodian, um, a company by the name of CIBC Mellon, which and a custodian is a company that sort of takes care of a lot of the back office work that nobody really knows exists, but uh, sort of trade settlement. And it, it, it got me talking to the investment industry, uh, sort of the, the institutional investment industry. was not a great job, I must say. Uh, lots oh. of pushing paper around, very routine, <laughs> uh, mundane. Um, not glamorous that, that, at all, huh? Of, yeah, sort of, I kind of likened it to a factory assembly line. But mm. again, it, it served a purpose in that one of the customers that we had um, Ended up having an opening, sort of an administrative role opening uh, within uh, within the investment department of an insurance company. Um, so that plucked me out of the custodian role into an investment management shop um, and sort of, again, got me closer to the role that I had envisioned all, all the way along. And, and I was there for a couple of years, uh, got a break through another connection, again, sort of making connections along the lines. Self-educating along the lines, I think, is a very important theme to sort of convey. As you, as you mentioned, the CFA program was part of that. I think I started it in around 2002 or, or so. Um, took a few. I got stuck on level three there. Um, I mean, that's but, but like one of the hardest programs out there. It, right? it was not fun, I got to say. And, and I wasted a lot of, uh, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't say wasted. I spent a lot of time, um, probably more than anybody else I know. I was never very good at exams. And I mean, that's the whole program. You got to be ready for an exam. Um, so it wasn't a great fit just in terms of how I think, but, uh, anyway, got through it. Um, and, and it's a very, it's, it's an important designation. I think just again, from a career perspective, I, I, it's hard to know what is really learned there. Um, but there's a ton of volume and, and I've, again, I've kind of lost track of the program. I don't know how it's evolved over the years, but I know that that exam is still paramount. So working on that in the background, and also came across a company called The Motley Fool while I was at the insurance company. Um, mm-hmm. So again, this is sort of early 2000s. Mm-hmm. The Fool was just sort of finding its way. Um, Fool's been around for close to 30 years now, and, and I can get more into The Fool in, in, in a moment. But um, very, it, just the tone of The Fool hit home, especially relative to the textbooks that I was reading for the CFA curriculum. Um, the, the message of, of education um, was, was clear throughout. So it, it really just resonated and become a, became a frequent destination for me as I, again, sort of self-educating through this administrative role. Um, ended up, th- again, through a connection, uh, getting a junior analyst role with an investment management company uh, in about 2003, and, and really have just sort of per- progressed as an analyst and gaining experience uh, since then. Um, so the, the Fool came about sort of in a, in a crazy way uh, for me professionally, um, so lifelong fan, uh, but in around 2010, 2011, uh, an email, we are big email, uh, mm-hmm. it's a big email company, so an like email landed <laughs> uh, indicating that indicating that The Fool was looking to start a, a blog to sort of supplement their uh, regular stream of contract writers in the U.S., um, and I was kind of like, ah, kind of doing this work anyway. Maybe I can get a bit of a side gig going here and, and put some, uh, put some submissions in and just get them published and, and whatnot. So did that for a period of time, uh, I, unbeknownst to my employer and then my employer, I did let my employer know after about six months or so, they weren't very happy that I was doing that. So I had to end my relationship with the fool and Aww. thought that was the end of that. Um, but then a couple months later, a couple months after that sort of set, cut occurred, um, another email landed, this one more personalized, and they were indicating that they were looking to start a Canadian uh, operation. And, and, mm. and would I be interested in uh, getting involved uh, sort of in, in starting that up? So uh, that was sort of mid-2012. Uh, I became an employee uh, in November 2012, excuse me. Um, so just crossed the 10-year mark. And then we, uh, so, so the first, first step of the business was to sort of establish an audience. Um, and, and so publishing a lot of free content. And then uh, we, we began Stock Advisor Canada, which is sort of our, our, our original, and, and I call it flagship service, I guess, um, in October 2013. Um, and we've, we've built upon that since. And it's, we've had a great, uh, great run in Canada. And uh, I think we've been pretty well received. Yeah. And, uh, and I think uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
That's amazing. Wow. That's honestly, I, I love hearing stories like this. This is why I always ask people, what's your kind of background? How did you start? Because I think it's, uh, it's it's so important to know that it's like, oh, no, it's no one just gets the job and here they are. It's like you started literally from the ground floor and it took years and years and years to kind of get to maybe like your ideal role that you made. It didn't exist, um, you know, and, and then it then it kind of poof came to be. I mean, that's my story as well. I didn't realize I wanted the job that I currently have because I, it didn't exist totally. and I created it myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah. No, no, your story uh, sounds very similar or, or along yeah. the sim- similar themes, I guess. Uh, yeah. As, as you said. No, yeah, if somebody exactly. would have tapped me on the shoulder in 2001 and said in 11 or 12 years, you're going to be employed by the Motley Fool, I would have uh, probably not believed it, but yeah. uh, here we are. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about the Motley Fool for people who don't really know. And like you mentioned, the, the uh, Motley Fool has been around for 30 years and in Canada now for almost a, a decade, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. What uh, Where's the name come from, first off? Because most people are like, what the heck does that mean? And, sure. and what is kind of, you know, like, why did it get started? How is it maybe different than some of those other websites that are also, you know, have research and uh, analysis on, on stocks and investments? For sure. Um, so it was. It began in literally in a uh, garden shed, in mm-hmm. in uh, again th- thirty or so years ago. I don't quite. Have, I think we're at twenty eight or twenty nine years total. Um, two brothers, David and Tom Gardner, uh, very much uh, involved in the business still, and and have sort of ridden it through the ups and downs over the years. And um, so they they were English majors. Uh, they were so they would have been associated with Shakespeare, and the, and the fool was a character from a Shakespeare play, and the their their love of the fool was because the fool was the only one that could speak to the king in sort of layman's terms, or, or felt felt comfortable enough or confident enough to be direct with the king and tell tell the king how things really were. So the the genesis of the fool was to sort of fly in the face of Wall Street. Um, and really the, the sort of the mainstream mm-hmm. investment world and sort of tell people the truth. This is, this is how to invest. Don't listen to the, all the garbage, I guess, <laughs> that, that exists out there. The, the high fee, high, highly complex. Everything, yeah. The financial industry wants to make things seem very, very complex, very yes. complicated. I, I see on your blog, you mentioned that that you maybe felt intimidated uh, going Hell in yeah. or, uh, on the ground floor. And, <laughs> and I think that's a, we see that all the time. It's a very consistent theme. So their, their goal was to sort of unwind that ball of complexity and, and make things right in terms of ways that people can actually understand, right ways that make sense, and really focus on long-term investing as opposed to the short-term games that go on out there and that have maybe even become more prevalent than they were even back so. then. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the genesis. And, and I mean, the, the, and then the companies just sort of evolved from there. It's, it's always been sort of rooted in a newsletter oriented service. Um, that, that's how they, I, they signed up, uh, some of their parents, friends were their, were their first members and they literally hand mailed out a typed up, uh, newsletter, which was the first edition. And, and, um, yeah, it's it's really it's it's evolved from there over the past thirty years, and and I think you're right. You mentioned sort of the prevalence of other research that exists out there, and I think that's probably the fool was sort of a, a groundbreaker on, on that front. And maybe people have uh, tried to other organizations have come up that have tried to pattern themselves after the fool, um, but I think at its, at its core, the principles remain. It's it's a long term investing mandate, uh, three to five year horizon on any any stock ideas that we put out there. Um, I, I think one of the best pieces of advice the, that I've ever come across anywhere in the investment industry uh, was put forward by The Fool, and it's that not a single dollar that you foresee needing within the next five years should be in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, and if you sort of run with that mandate, it, investing actually becomes a whole lot easier <laughs> yeah. um, because, because it's a very mental game. Uh, Money is a very emotional thing. Um, but if you can sort of keep things in perspective, it, it, it really changes things and, and, and makes it a whole lot easier. I yeah. Think. And I feel like that's, uh, it's so funny. Cause it's like, for me, I started really learning about, you know, personal finance and investing, you know, when I started just my own, you know, personal finance blog as a hobby 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, it's, it's so interesting just to see the kind of evolution of how people are talking about investing and thinking about it. 
back, you know, then I started to, you know, I was very intimidated by investments and people were just talking about mutual funds. Really, that was kind of the the core kind of investment product. People were like, oh, if you want to invest, you do mutual funds, of course. And that's all I thought existed. Sure. And then start people started talking about, oh, there's things called like ETFs and you can build your own portfolio of index ETFs and stuff. I'm like, well, that seems cool. What's this self-directed investing all about? And then mm-hmm. robo-advisors started coming up. You're like, oh, there's another new way online that you can invest. And I feel like now in the past, really, I feel like because because of the pandemic these past two years, um, what I've seen is like there was so much talk about long-term investing, boring index investing for I feel like a long time, and it could just be the bubble that I'm stuck into because I, you know, it's one of sure. those like yeah. confirmation yeah. bias. I'm just reading stuff like that, I but I feel like so much, so many of the conversations and things that I'm seeing online is kind of going back to this idea of getting rich quick or the the short-term gains through things like you know meme stocks and or just you know oh I bought Tesla and bam look mm-hmm. at me now or uh, crypto currency especially i i hear from so many listeners especially young investors oh i'm so glad you talk about things that aren't just cryptocurrency because i feel like that's all i see and i feel very pressured into putting all of my money into cryptocurrency right it's kind of intimidating for young investors you're like where do i go you know there's almost too many options and too many routes you can take it's like what do i what do i actually do totally well it's been an unbelievable market um for the past i mean since like really coming out of the financial crisis there's there's just been no now and i'm talking mostly the u.s market the canadian market's had its issues with more of the resource sectors and, and energy and so on struggling but i mean the, the past decade has been just an unbelievable market for especially growth oriented stocks and and um sort of multiple expansion um and it, it's. I mean, frankly, as a Canadian investor, that's that's seen some different investing climates over over the years. I I, I sort of began just as the tech bubble uh, was was bursting. Um, so uh, I was early on in that one, but certainly came through the financial crisis uh, through the thick of that. Um, th- this is the only market that a lot of, as you say, sort of younger uh, investors know, and and it, it will change. It's. It, Again, with with timing as a factor, it gets really, really hard trying to figure out when nobody's nobody knows when it's going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're just the market does move in cycles, and and uh, I th- I think again, if you stick with that long term perspective, you, you realize that you don't have to feel rushed to do anything. You can take your time, understand it, feel comfortable, and and go slow. Yeah, and I feel like unless you have that, you know, like me, I'm in my mid thirties now. And so it's like, I experienced the, you know, I graduated university in 2009. And so that was very front of mind, the crash, and then the subsequent recession. And then, you know, over the years of being an investor, seeing all the ups and downs, I feel like that has given me a really good perspective on just like, okay, the future, like I can kind of see decades in front of me, because I have that kind of experience in my back pocket of like, things aren't always going to go up, they're going to go down. And sometimes they'll stay down for a long time, like years. But so many people, the the first kind of big downturn in the stock market they've experienced was in March 2020, and then it rebounded so quickly. So I think their then experience or just their mm-hmm. kind of the truth that they uh, know is just like, oh, it'll go down, but very, you know, it'll go back up really quickly. And it's just like, I'm, I'm kind of concerned, actually, for lots of young investors who are being so aggressive with their investments. And like you said, maybe are investing money that they do need in the short term, right. but they're like, it's okay, I'll cash out when, you know, things are high, and then I'll you know be able to finally buy a house or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. like, we just don't know what's going to happen. And it's, it's it, to me, it, it kind of is worrisome because no, they haven't experienced a recession or you know times of some real economic hardship yeah no there's certainly and i mean this this has prevailed for the history of the stock market there's there's a gambling mentality that that is involved and and certainly there's i I wouldn't even say corners i might even say the majority of the market sort of lives with that gambling mentality and all or nothing type type thinking when um i think from our perspective and and it should be the way it is I, i think we've seen enough evidence that Long-term investing, going slow, taking your time, uh, being conservative, uh, managing risk um, are key components to being successful over the long term. And I mean, the scariest, there's scariest or even saddest thing is when, I mean, we we see we have a form, um, we have forms within our service, so I sort of can see what people are talking about. And, and I mean, the first real evidence we we came through the marijuana years with the Canadian oh, yeah. market, and it was just 
bananas how bananas. everybody was just what, what's the next pot stock let's let's go let's let's get mm-hmm. really long heavily invested in pot stocks and i mean it's it was i felt our role to sort of be pushing back against that and, and saying no this is not a great corner of the world to invest um no. but it but it's it's tough when when sort of those animal spirits are, are fired up but it's People don't want to hear like that. There's like one or two examples of people that have like really made some money, but most of the people I know, myself included, have lost money. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, there, there was, I think, a moment where you couldn't couldn't go wrong for mm-hmm. a few months anyway, but then uh, everything I think has gone really wrong. Yeah, um, and and that's that's the perspective to sort of have in mind. Not not, not what's gonna not trying to jump on a train for a couple months and and make mm-hmm. make whatever you can make. It's 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 that long term mentality that I think is uh, carries the day, and and that's. That's where the real magic of investing comes into play. There, there's no magic in, in it's just a it's a guessing game when you, when you're talking yeah. in terms of months or even even one or two years. Um, it, it's a total speculative guessing game. The, the magic of investing is really um, keeping your head about you and and keeping that long term picture in mind. Mm-hmm. No, and that's definitely something that I talk a lot about on the podcast with. So so I want to kind of talk because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a boring index investor, but I do also invest in individual stocks, you know, which is why I'm a Motley Fool subscriber. I like sure. reading the research and then I like, you know, for kind of my satellite portfolio, you know, choosing stocks that I believe in for the long term that, you know, align with my values. I believe that they will grow over time. But again, it's still boring passive investing because I'm not touching them. And that is honestly, I will say the hardest thing. It's so much easier being an index investor because the volatility is is way less than just an individual stock. So right now, obviously, we're in a time where market's a bit down. Pretty much all of the stocks that I own are down. And the just like psychological pain and I always remind myself it's like you know this happens you know what you're getting into and the risk that you're taking it is so difficult to do nothing and to just see you know the red you know in your account sure. so sure. uh you know for people who you know want to kind of you know invest in some individual stocks and they know there's more risk but then that also could be you know um you know more benefit more you know higher returns in the future what would you say to to them during maybe a, a time right now where it seems like a great time to buy but then almost everyone I talked to they're like I bought my first stock oh and it immediately lost value <laughs> <laughs> that that is a very constant theme uh, again through our forums you can see well people will come in and they'll say well i just bought some shares expect it to go down that's that's sort of the mentality that uh, that people have and, and let me just say though that I, a lot of people should be following the same strategy that you're following I, I it's it's almost like too many try to try to go all in on individual stocks when passive investing is probably a better fit for their Certainly for their level of experience, if they're just getting in tune with the market and, and maybe graduate into more uh, individual stock selection as, as you go and, and are able to better uh, sort of mentally navigate the markets. But uh, I, I certainly want to support your uh, strategy and pursuit that, that you're following. Um, I think, though, when it, when it comes to picking individual stocks, I mean, our services certainly volley up a, a lot of ideas and, and, and frankly, we're not quite 10 years in, but there, you go into Stock Advisor Canada and there's like a hundred ideas on the scorecard and it, and it can be sort of overwhelming. So we do, we do our best through sort of a monthly feature, Best Buys Now, trying to highlight what we, what we think are good ideas for new money right now. Um, our, our newest ideas come out monthly. But I think it, it comes back to personal taste, personal risk tolerance, personal situation in life, how, how the person's portfolio is constructed. So there's a lot it's not just about picking an individual company or a couple companies. It's it's really about sort of having a whole portfolio mindset in, in, in mind and, and being in tune with, with where you're at. Because, I mean, another tool, big tool, I, I find, is sizing a position in a portfolio. So you can you can pick the riskiest, I don't know what the riskiest stock is in Stock Advisor Canada, but mm. whatever. Mm. Pick the riskiest stock. If it's a 1% position in your portfolio, it's not going to hurt that much if it's yeah. if it's uh, down twenty percent, down thirty percent. If it's a fifteen percent position, then you got some issues, um, and that really brings the mental game into play. Um, so I, I think that's that's a huge tool when it comes to um, when it comes to managing one's own finances as well. Just that 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 portfolio construction avenue, um, and again, and that's just something that I think is it's a personal taste and and something that people have to sort of get in tune with on their own. 
Yeah. Now, the the um, question that I get all the time, especially from uh, new investors who, who do want to start um, investing in individual stocks is, yeah, where do I start? Because like you mentioned, there's so many options. There's so many recommendations. Mm-hmm. It can seem like there's just there's too many options. And so people just don't make a decision. So where where should people start when they are kind of thinking about their overall portfolio construction, thinking about, you know, because I know Motley Fool is all about like diversification as well, not just picking one or two sure. stocks, but having um, a good variety, where should they start in terms of building that kind of portfolio for them and, yeah. uh, you know, making that list? We certainly suggest uh, a portfolio, if you're, if you're going the all-stock route, sort of a portfolio of at least 25 uh, companies. Um, and again, through our, through our service, so we, I'm going to speak from a Motley Fool perspective, I, maybe that's the best way to address, but um, through Stock Advisor Canada, we, we have created a collection of 10, um, we call them starter stocks. So people that are coming into the service, um, it's one of the first things they're going to see, this list of 10 companies. And I, I think we've done a, we've made an attempt anyway to sort of put some like just blue chip bedrock, don't worry about this company ever um, ideas in there, maybe about half of them. And those are the kinds of things where, again, back to per, per, uh, position sizing, you can sort of feel pretty good about putting 5% of a, putting a 5% position on. And, and if you have five or six of those in your portfolio, you've got a nice bedrock sort of 30% allocation to some companies that are going to do fine over the, over the long term. They, they're not going to beat the market, especially in this environment um, that, that we've been in where high growth gambling speculation is, 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 is ruling the day. But there are companies that are going to let you sleep at night. And, th- and then we've sort of put, put on top of those um, little growth here, comp- companies that we still like a lot, like the prospects of. Um, and, and again, so maybe people come in, they see 10, 10 starter stocks, maybe pick six or seven, four or five sort of bedrocks and, and layer on a couple other, uh, companies with, with more growth prospects. Um, and, and then, and then, yeah, it's, it's sort of about building out the roster, getting comfortable with the companies in the service. And, uh, and, and again, I, I don't think a lot of people are walking in with sort of just an empty, with an empty account. So I, I think people are coming in with already some experience, uh, a, a lot, a lot are anyway, and they've probably got some allocations and, and then it's, it's, it's hard. They've kind of got to navigate on which, which to punt out, which to bring in, uh, from the service on their own. We do the, the other, the other thing that's sort of evolved with the Motley Fool over the years is that there are prepackaged portfolios that come, come through. So, um, I mean, the fool in the U.S. actually does have an actual ETF, but um, this this would be come in instead of buying an ETF. Here's here's your list of 23 stocks or, or whatever, 25, 27, whatever the number is. Um, here's the allocation. That that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. you follow our allocation guidance. You follow our our company guidance. You transact when we tell you to transact. So there, there's there's also that um, sort of level of service. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple approaches, I guess. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think that's that's great. I mean, I always tell people when you don't know where to start, especially if you want to get into self-directed investing. But it, again, it's like there's so many options. It's like find a model that makes sense to you mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. copy it. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't have to yeah. build, you know, you don't have to like reinvent the wheel. I think so many people feel like they have to, they don't want to copy something and they just want to, you know, build something unique. You're like, why? You don't have to. <laughs> don't. <laughs> and, and and there's always the 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 missing out that like the missing out is is a big oh, thing that yeah. we come across all the time. You see a company that's gone up 200 percent in the last three years, and you're like, oh, that's done, or even 20 percent, like like yeah. it, what whatever the number is. Any people seem to find more solace in, in investing in those stock charts that are like high high on the left and low on the right type thing. When when in reality, that that's the sign of a company that's probably not. Uh, working it's a bad company um the 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 reality is people should be uh, looking for those situations where the stock price is lower on the left side of the chart and and rises over time that's a sign of a winning company and 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 that's certainly been one of uh david gardner's sort of taglines over the years he's he's a guy that likes to buy high and then mm-hmm. buy higher uh which mm-hmm. which is sort of a contrarian bit of advice but uh it's worked uh, pretty magically for him well, yeah, I remember when I, you know, some of the first stocks that I bought, and this was just starting, honestly, not too long ago, just a few years ago. And mm-hmm. um, I was looking on the website and 
obviously like Shopify was, I'm like, oh, you know what? This is a, you know, a company I really like, like I knew a lot about, I was familiar with it. Um, but the price, I think I bought like literally one stock, right, <laughs> for, right. like $400. Sure. And I'm like, oh gosh, that was a, that was a big uh, investment for me doing, uh, doing one stock. Um, and then I remember that it kept on going up and then people were like, oh, now it's 700. Is this too crazy? Or is it going to go up? And now it's like 1700 or something today. And so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, FOMO was so real and you always feel like you're never going to be uh, buying at the right time. And that's, kind of, I mean, you probably won't. But again, if you come at it from the perspective, like, you know, holding for the long term, it doesn't really matter if you buy it today or tomorrow, you know, totally. If, if the, if the company is of, uh, the ilk that we think it is now that mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. of this is qualified by the company doesn't always turn out to be what you think it is. Yes. So not, not everything works in five year stretches, yes. but the, the beauty is the ones that do work with that time frame in mind far exceed the ones that don't because the stock can only go down a hundred percent and the upside is infinite. So you get, you get a few sort of Shopify's in, in your life, and you're a, you're a winning investor, regardless yeah. of how many bad ones you pick. It, it can it can sort of smooth over a lot a lot of the bad ones. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if if the company's going to work, and and you give it five years to work, uh, it's it's going to generate a return that that far exceeds the companies that don't work. And and we all pick ones that don't work. There, there's no getting around that. Mistakes are prevalent, and that's another thing that you have to become comfortable with. They're, you're going to make mistakes. Um, and things are going to go wrong. It's not even obvious mistakes. It's just like things, unforeseeable things happen that, that it's just part of the game. Yeah. Like that's, I think, yeah, you have to be comfortable with those losses. If you're taking risk, it, risk doesn't that's just right. mean like, <laughs> you know, forever returns. And again, like we're in this environment where so many people, that's all they've experienced. <laughs> it's just like, it keeps going up forever. It's like, more, it more won't risk, always. The more risk, the better, uh, frankly, over the past, oh, yeah, five years yeah. anyway, maybe longer. Um, yeah. Which, <laughs> so from my, it's, I, I get frustrated by that because <laughs> we're trying to balance risk and reward and, and, mm-hmm. and suggest these companies that have not been going up a hundred percent a day type thing. And, yeah. uh, the ones that are going up, uh, leaps and bounds uh, up until recently, there's, there's certainly been some pullback on the, mm-hmm. on the growth year portion of the U S market, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to balance that relationship when, when, especially in the, in, in the environment that we've been in. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think, you know, one thing that's uh, beneficial from, you know, reading The Motley Fool and, and subscribing is obviously all of the information and research. Um, but I think that's also a, a place where um, especially new investors kind of get stuck. They don't know really what information they need. Like, how do you, I guess, evaluate a stock or a company to know if it is something worth holding on for three to five years? What would you kind of say to them? Yeah, that's that's a that's a huge um, it's huge um, because you're right. I, th- I think a lot of people's research begins and ends with a stock chart, and and that's almost the worst place that that one can first turn when they're considering an idea. And, and I'm as guilty as anybody of doing the same thing. But if you just take the stock chart out of the mix, focus on the company and evaluating the company without that sort of bias that the stock chart immediately creates. Um, you're that's that's a great first step. So ignore the stock chart. Go to the company. We're we're pretty big fans of so now Motley Fool. We've got different investing teams, so our, our Canadian investing team might have a different taste than sort of some of the the U.S. teams that are. We have a rule breaker service that's that's very focused on like ultra high growth companies. So we sprinkle that in, but we we try to take a more uh, sort of balance. I don't know if balance is the right word, but more diversified approach to to the to suggestions that we put forward. Um, so we're, we're, we're rooted in company fundamentals. So, uh, uh, cash flow statement is, I think the first place that I go to, and this is something that's evolved over the years. Um, statement of cash flows is hugely important because the earning, earning statement still gets the bulk of the attention out there, but earnings can be sort of gamified cash flows, cash flow. So if you, if you see a positive cash flow situation, um, it means the company's doing something right, and 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 they're taking. They can then take that cash. They can do good things with it. They can pay down debt. They can make acquisitions and grow. They can give it back to shareholders through dividends and and buybacks. So cash is really a lever that we look for across the spectrum. It's not always always the case. I, I mean, when we recommended Shopify, um, it it didn't necessarily have an attractive cash flow prof- profile, but the opportunity was such um, that that it, it was sort of worth straying from that. But um, in a lot of cases, we, we recommended recently a company by the name of Nuve, um, which is a Canadian uh, payment pr- 
processor provider. Um, lots of ties in the online gaming world and, and online gambling. Um, growing like crazy. But again, there's growing like crazy, and then there's growing like crazy with cash flow. And we, we contrasted Nuve with Lightspeed, which is another higher growth Canadian company, both growing the top line big time. Uh, the difference was Nuve is growing their cash flow profile as well, along with the top line. Lightspeed's cash flows are actually going the other way. So the more revenue Lightspeed generates, the worse its cash flow situation looks. And, and that just doesn't doesn't make any sense. So we're, we're, we're focused on that cash flow situation. It can come with the high growth companies. It can come, it can come with a stodgy old slow growing company. Um, but that's, that's the first place we turn. We think a lot about balance sheet risk, uh, the financial profile. Uh, I was taught in one of my earlier, uh, gigs that, uh, there's three sort of primary risks out there. There's cyclical risk, there's operational risk where the company sort of stubs its toe for a period of time. And, but they can, they tend to be able to work that out, and there's financial risk, and financial risk you can't come back from. If 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 the company has too much debt, like that, that can kill a company. Cyclical risk can't kill a company on its own. Cyclical risk with financial risk can kill a company. Operational risk can't kill a company on its own. Operational risk with financial risk can kill a company. So we really we want to avoid companies that are dying. Yeah, <laughs> sounds yeah. obvious, but <laughs> um, that's that's a that's a big uh, that's a big part of our analysis as well. So, and, and again, that, that too comes back to a cash flow statement analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, a company that's generating positive free cash flow uh, is harder to kill than one that's not, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, because one thing I, I see a lot, you know, in some of the, the forums or in Facebook investment groups and stuff like that is people just talking about, um, uh, you know, stock dividend yields. Like, oh, this, this stock has such great yields. And I think people just get so, again, caught up in like, wow, this means I can make so much money if I buy all these stocks because of the return in the, the dividend yield. Right. But they may not actually know, well, why is the yield up? Could it be that the stock Generally, is going down? Generally, that's a tell that some things, <laughs> like the market's not dumb. There, there's... Yeah. You can sort of fly in the face of the market from time to time and find opportunity, but the market is not dumb. It's You should listen to what the market's telling you. And if mm-hmm. a stock has a 12% dividend yield, the market's telling you something that yeah, uh, it's not a good that, thing that dividend is not uh, likely sustainable. Not. Yeah. 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 But I think, yeah, a lot of uh, people, when you get really into it, it can be, especially just yeah, with, with seeing if you've, you've got, been lucky or, or you know, you, you did an investment that did pay off, it builds your confidence, maybe makes you a bit overconfident and will make you kind of just see what you want to see, I think. And, and, and depending too, also in what kind of um, communities, especially online investment communities, you just kind of, everyone's just like goading each other and be like, yeah, you should do that. You know, and then it's just, I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's a wild, sometimes it's like the wild west out there. <laughs> it really, and I think you mentioned confirmation bias uh, earlier. Yes. Uh, in one of the, it's huge. It's, it's a huge thing. We, and again, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody, but we tend to read what we want to read or at least interpret things as we want them interpreted. Like if, mm-hmm. uh, go back to Nuve, if I see a negative article on Nuve, bah, they're, they're wrong. Yeah, they're <laughs> I'm going to pay attention to a positive <laughs> Nuve article and, and help uh, justify my decision there. Um, so yeah, yeah. it, our brains are a huge part of the investing uh, process. Um, again, there's there's been lots of great literature written about that, but but the more people sort of can get in tune with their emotions, uh, the, again, the be- the better off they are. It, it's the the fundamentals and all of the complexity has to do with our brains. There's nothing overly complex about reading a cash flow statement. You can look at cash flow operations. If it's positive, great. If it's negative, okay. Maybe we've. There, uh, there's some levels to the analysis there, but it, it's navigating emotions and managing our, our brains is is where the real uh, the real trick in investing comes into play. Absolutely, I'm I'm curious um, from just your perspective, you know, and how Motley Fool is uh, Canada has grown so much in the past decade. Have you seen the a shift in who kind of the subscribers or audience are? Like, was it you know initially just kind of people who were already investors and already kind of knew how this all worked? Have you seen a big uptick in maybe young people or newbies? Good question. Um, from where I sit, I don't. I sort of have a some idea of what our membership base sort of looks like, but I, I would say that the newbies really come into play when these periods of fr- when the market gets frothy. So mm. again, when when marijuana was going on, mm-hmm. uh, we we had a huge rush of what I would consider newbies, and 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 I'm I'm saying that based on sort of form form comments that that yeah. I would see. Um, 
um, just people that really don't have a clue. Um, yeah. We're, we're, we're appearing. But they heard, they heard from someone, it's a good time to buy, totally. so I'm here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that, that, that was a period of market froth and, and, and sort of the, the that, that attracts <laughs> newbies. And, uh, and, and we've, we've, I mean, since the pandemic, I think it's been pretty, as you mentioned, it's, it's really kicked into high. Now it's, it's, it's slowed up a bit, but I mean, for the first 12 months after the pandemic hit, like it was clearly a go-to activity for, for people. And, and again, how many of those are sort of long-term investors? I would say not the majority, but um, I mean, ideally our message sort of did, was able to break through. But um, so I, I think it, the market environment dictates who, who's coming through the door. Frothy periods tend to attract the faster money newbie people that might not be there in a, in a month, uh, let alone a couple couple weeks. But uh, but I think we've definitely had a... We've definitely got a base that that's been, whether they were fool followers prior to even the Canadian operation uh, coming to be, or or mm-hmm. have been with us uh, for for a number of years. So there's definitely that following out there as well. Mm-hmm. Do you also have like I'm not sure if you do, but do you have information about the the people who are you know part of like the Motley Fool community and just like how their investments have gone? I guess maybe you can kind of get a sense of that in the forums and how they're kind of speaking. But I'm always so curious. It's like, are people, you know, learning this information from Motley Fool and then applying it and then, you know, sharing kind of their results? Somewhat, but, but again, it's a tough thing to generalize. Um, Mm. Nothing. I can't point to any sort of direct data that, that I see anyway. And and I know it, it, this has been another evolution of the business. I know, and especially in the U S they're really sort of trying to dig into that level of information Mm -hmm. and, and sort of, better understand, frankly, the, the membership base. I, I, and, and I think technology is helping with that a lot. There just hasn't been the technology to do so and for much of the company's existence. Um, so we're, we're getting there, but I, I don't, we don't have that kind of granularity. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. I think it's always just like interesting to find out like, okay, who are the people subscribing then? What are they, you know, what are they actually doing? Because that's the, the hardest thing I, I, I find for, for, you know, older investors and new investors mm-hmm. as well is, finding out what are other people doing and what, you know, and what, what are their actual results? Cause you know, as I tell everybody, people will talk about their gains. They'll never talk about their losses. And that's sure. why it's important to not get sucked into certain conversations or just certain like online investor communities. Cause then you'll just, you know, you'll just get certain biases and just, you know, cer- think certain things and stop thinking really for yourself. You'll right. start, start just kind of that group thing kind of thing. I think that's right. And, uh, um, former colleague, and he, he's written a book that's, that's done very, very well. Uh, Morgan Housel. I don't know. I don't know if that's familiar. Mm, but I will you. look that up. Um, the psychology yeah. of money is his, is his oh, book. Oh yeah. Oh, I have that on my bookshelf. I'm going to read it in the next couple of weeks when the things kind of die down. So it's a fantastic book and, and mm. it's so great that he's done so well with it. Um, um, but his a chapter in there is about um, there's there's so many different games in the, in the financial industry. Everybody's got a different game, so you're so it, it gets tough when you start trying to compare your results to somebody else's because somebody else might have a completely different be playing a completely different game than than you're playing. And I mean, age comes into play there. Somebody that's seventy years old is going to be playing a different game than somebody that's thirty years old. Um, so there, there's there's just it's an infinite, it's infinite how everybody's, everybody sort of needs to come up with their own sort of personal game and, and stick to it, which, which again is where our brains come in. It becomes very, very challenging, especially when you start seeing all these different uh, opinions that fly around out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now I, I want to kind of uh, end things off on a, a positive note. So you've, you know, been doing this for a very long time and I've seen uh, probably a lot, especially all of the kind of subscribers and conversations you've been having and, and just your own personal experience working in financial services. Um, what would be some of your kind of, you know, best advice for someone just getting started? Or, I mean, honestly, a lot of the people that I talk to on a day-to-day basis, they've been investing for a while, but usually they just don't have that inf- like that knowledge or that confidence. And so they're like, I actually don't know what I'm investing in. I started with the bank five or 10 years ago. I think it's in mutual funds. I have no clue. And so I want to actually take this time now to educate myself and really become empowered and more informed, what is some of your best kind of advice um, for just like a you know long person who wants to really take control of their investments and again, investing for the long term? For sure. Uh, so three things come to mind. I'm going to go back to pumping Morgan's book, The Psychology mm-hmm. of Money. It, it should be on everybody's list. Mm-hmm. 
to read. It, it's fantastic. Again, it's it's all about our brain, our brain on investing type thing, and uh, it's 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 wonderful. So anything you can sort of ingest that that allows you to better understand and get in touch with sort of your your brain, mm-hmm. <laughs> your emotions, yeah. and and yeah. and and understanding how important emotion control emotional control is. Um, the other thing I would suggest is having a handle on financial history, um, understanding how the market has performed over the long term, um, understanding that the market's only appreciated about an eight percent before inflation um, over the very very long term. So that too helps to sort of govern what to expect and manage expectations. So I mean, any if you're able to generate a return beyond eight percent, you're going to be better than like. 90% of investment <laughs> professionals out there yeah. um, as opposed to, I mean, people just want 500%, that yeah. they, they don't have that context. So I think understanding financial history, understanding the, how, understanding that stocks go down faster than they go up. That, that's another David Gardnerism. Um, stocks always go up, but they go down a heck of a lot faster. Um, so be, be wary of, of the declines because the, the worst, again, back to I think what, what I mentioned before, it's, it's terrible to see people getting scared out of their pursuit of, of, yeah. of becoming a, a, a seasoned investor. And, and that, yeah. I think that happens all the time. So oh, financial history. Uh, Morgan Housel is wonderful. He's a wonderful resource, period. He, he writes for uh, the Collaborative Fund. We do miss him at The Fool, but uh, he's still putting his content out to the world. Um, and, and another source that I... I, I love and I don't think gets and certainly not these days maybe it maybe it did a decade or so ago I mean Warren Buffett remains a wonderful wonderful resource he's still with us read his annual letters dating back as and this this can help with the financial history uh, end of it too Berkshire Hathaway has annual letters published back to I think maybe 1960 ish oh wow so maybe you don't have to take them all in but <laughs> a, a sampling throughout time um, I've I've found it an invaluable resource just to again understand the different business climates, how he thinks about business, um, which which I think is where you want your understanding to be. You want to be able to look at a company, be able to evaluate the business, how to think about that business, and, and then again let the let the stock sort of take care of itself over over the over the long term. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree that the the psychological aspect doesn't get um, enough attention. But that is like the thing that'll make you break you as an investor it's easy to actually make a trade but the hardest part is to to feel good about it after you. that's right (laughs) holding is the hardest part of investing um buying is actually the easiest selling selling is also very difficult but uh just holding on to something whether it's doing well or poorly uh is really 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 hard because it's like you feel like you should be doing something sure yeah but you're not supposed to that's the whole point (laughs) (laughs) doing nothing is a perfectly acceptable, if not the best uh, strategy. Exactly. What I've been saying for years. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure having you on. Um, where can people find more information? I mean, I'll include some um, links, you know, for people to um, check out Molly Fool Canada. But where can, you know, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? What are some other kind of resources that might be um, something that you want to look into after this episode? Sure. I mean, yeah, um, we, I mean, sort of the flagship site is fool.ca. Um, that's, that's where we provide some market commentary, ongoing market commentary. If, if you like the message there, the idea is f- to, to sign up for one of our services. Again, I, I, I'm, uh, I sort of lead the investing team in Canada, but I spend a good chunk of my time on Stock Advisor Canada, um, which again is our, sort of our flagship service. We, we've got some other ones. Again, we've got, we've got a smaller cap service by the name of Hidden Gems. Uh, run by my colleague Jim Gillies and uh, Dividend Investor Service as well, um, and then we've got some some of the portfolio sort of prepackaged portfolios that I mentioned as well. Um, but that's once that's sort of once you get comfortable with the fool, that's that's where we sort of want you to migrate towards, or think uh, it generally works for people to to migrate there after after they get comfortable with the message. Um, in terms of social media or anything like that, I've tried to get a Twitter account going. I don't have I a great Twitter. I found you on Twitter. I don't have a great Twitter voice, though. I haven't been able to sort of get into the rhythm of uh, posting to that Twitter account. So there, it's it's a little bit sporadic in there. But but uh, there is a Twitter account, uh, TMF O Canada, I, I think is the handle on that one. Uh, but again, it's it's kind of quiet. Um, I I get you. I'm not a. Tw- I've been on Twitter for like a decade, and I'm just like I'm just not. It's not my. I'm not good at it. Like some people are amazing at Twitter. Oh, big time. Not me. And and frankly, it's it's become a. <laughs> 
it's become a wonderful resource actually. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're able to again, there's a lot of noise in there, but if you're sort mm-hmm. of able to block that out and pay attention to the messages from from the great poster, like it's a great resource. Even yeah. even in terms of sort of article sharing or information mm-hmm. sharing that goes on out there, I've uh, I've really taken to it over the past five or six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's pretty much why I still do it, just to see what other people that yeah. are better at Twitter are sharing. Because I'm like, yeah, oh, well, that's yeah. a great resource. That's Def- <laughs> definitely a lurker. And also just uh, to see what's trending. That's a great way to find out what's going on in the market sure, right sure, now. Sure, sure. No, it's it's a great tool. I wish the wish the stock could be doing better. I, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one that we've recommended, and uh, it, it it's done okay for a bit. It's kind of pulled back here recently, though. But that's a... Mm-hmm. It's one of the. It's a huge platform, and and I, I think they've just got to figure out how to monetize it better. And uh, I think it's no going to be an interesting. You'd investment. think they'd figure that out, you know, sooner, but no, yeah. they haven't. Hopefully, hopefully it happens. We'll see. <laughs> There's but big like optionality the there if they do. Quit. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe. Yeah. We'll yeah. That, that's. I think the market's sort of been waiting for a dedicated CEO to come in. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what happens mm-hmm. there. But it, it's mm-hmm. a. I'm intrigued by it from an investing perspective as well yeah. as a, a user. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for for dropping by on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Fantastic. Happy to be here, Jessica. Anytime. And that was episode 309 of the More Money podcast. Uh, You can find Ian Butler on Twitter if you want, because he is there and I have followed him at TMFOH Canada, which stands for the Motley Fool. Uh, Oh, Canada. Oh, I get it. Clever. Love it. Anyways, uh, you can find him on Twitter. Um, Otherwise, make sure to go to thefool.ca. A lot of great resources um, for free on there. But also, again, like I kind of mentioned, if you did want to get a subscription to um, Stock Advisor Canada, all you have to do is go to fool.ca slash Jessica to get 66% off your membership. Once again, uh, you know, go to fool.ca slash Jessica to get 66% off. I think honestly, that's I, I found someone else's promo link or something uh, a few years back. And that's how I got into uh into it. And then I just kept on subscribing. Here we are several years later. Um, so also make sure to check out the show notes for this episode, jessicamorehouse.com slash 309. We'll include a bunch of helpful uh, you know, resources and links that we mentioned uh, throughout the episode in there. Also a reminder, if you uh, did not listen to la- uh, yesterday's episode or maybe previous episodes, again, we, well, here's the big deal. Uh, next week is going to be the final episode. Next Wednesday will be the final episode, which means uh, there's limited time for you to enter to win my big book giveaway. I'm giving away a ton uh, of books. Um, and yeah, they're amazing books and they're free. So go ahead and do it. Just go to jessicamorass.com slash contest. If you also just go to the show notes, jessicamorass.com slash 309, you will find uh, also the link to take you to that book giveaway. But I will be drawing uh, winners at the end of December, basically. And so this is the time to enter. And I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes, um, probably have not been promoting the contest as well as I should have because there's, n- you know, not as many entries as normal, which honestly sucks for me. Good for you. Your odds are very good to win a book. So uh, make sure to check that out. And uh, now let's uh, tease next week because next week is the last episode. I think I did mention this on a previous episode. I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, But anyways, I've got the wonderful Andrew Hallam back on the show for I believe is I believe the third time. I'm going to have to check. I feel like I've had him on the show a few times. I've done a lot of things with him, and he's wonderful. He's he's obviously the um, author of Millionaire Teacher, but he has a new book coming out called Balance, and I will be giving away that book as well. So make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast and, uh, you know, come back next week for the final episode. I will not be doing a special solo episode like I usually do to kind of wrap up uh, kind of the end of my, you know, this, uh, the fall-ish, you know, winter season. I'm actually going to leave that and do a special solo episode at the beginning of next season when I'm in my new place because I feel like I'll just have so much more interesting stuff to share with you. So that is it for me. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you back here next Wednesday for what is it? The finale of this season 13 of the More Money Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. A big shout out to my wonderful podcast editor, Matt Rideout, and I will see you back here next week. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.